Hi, I'm Sarah, and you're listening to Weird Island. Each week, I'll be telling you about the strangest stories I can dig up from my tiny little state of Rhode Island. And this week, we're headed to the drive-in. What do you picture when you think about the drive-in? I remember going with my parents and my little brother. We'd bring all of our pillows and blankets and dress in our pajamas, well at least my brother and I. And we'd get there and we'd sneak all of our snacks in and feel like we were really getting away with something. And then we'd play in the playground or play mini golf until the movie started. And it was always something like Shrek or RV or Are We There Yet? Something super family friendly. And then there'd be another family friendly but slightly older kid targeted movie afterwards. And I'd inevitably fall asleep five minutes in. But I gave my boyfriend's grandmother a call. Her name's Barbara. And she told me about her experience at the drive-in. And it was a little bit different. (laughs) Wow, Sarah. (laughs) Well, Tyler said you had a story about it, so I thought I'd give you a call and see what what your experience was with the rustic. Well, I don't think you want to put that in the podcast. So that thing Barbara thinks I shouldn't include in the podcast? Well, it's this funny fact that the Rustic Drive-In, Rhode Island's 70-year-old, still-operating drive-in movie theater, it showed a different kind of movie during the 70s. Something not super family-friendly. That's (laughs) kind of part of what it's about, that the the Rustic showed adult movies for so long. Yes, and then went to a family theater. So Barbara, she kind of got tricked into going. And I mean, I was mortified. <laughs> I mean, it was funny, but it wasn't. I mean, I, I just, it's kind of disgusting, you know, that all these people, you could, and it's awful when you say these cars are rocking back and forth because they were. So yeah, Rhode Island had a drive-in movie theater that showed adult movies for many years. And I love Barbara's story because she's just so innocent. But all of her real memories of the drive-in, they're just like mine. Some of them would forget that they, you know, they were tied to the thing and they'd pull the the speakers out when they were driving out. Um, They had the snack bar. And then it got to like the family. I mean, Sean and Dawn and Derry put their pajamas on and we would go and like pick up pizza and sit, you know, like in the back or whatever, on blankets and have something to eat and with, you know, the family stuff and everything. And the kids could go on swings and everything. It was, it was kind of a good family thing, you know? You just can't deny it. There's something nostalgic and something to treasure about the experience of going to the drive-in. And today, we're going to be talking all things related to the drive-in. From its sweet and innocent origins to its dirty, porno-chic days of the 70s. But before we get into it, I promise the podcast talk is all family-friendly. The drive-in was officially invented in 1933 in Camden, New Jersey by a guy named Richard M. Hollingshead Jr., 
Hollingshead worked as a general sales manager at his father's auto parts company, Wiz Auto Products. And the story of how he came up with the idea is kind of sweet. He came up with the concept for his mother, who was a little bit on the bigger side and was uncomfortable in the small, crunched movie theater seats. And at the time, cars were bigger and the seats were more comfortable than those in movie theaters. So he began experimenting. He strung up white sheets between two trees at his New Jersey home and placed a Kodak movie projector on the hood of his car. Speakers were placed behind the screen. Hollingshead tested the idea under different weather conditions, running lawn sprinklers to simulate rain and testing different times and quality of light. But the biggest problem he ran into was that the cars parked in the front would block the view of the cars parked in the back. So he invented a system of ramps to park cars at varying heights. In 1932, Hollings had filed a patent against the idea, stating, My invention relates to a new and useful outdoor theater, and it relates more particularly to a novel construction in outdoor theaters whereby the transportation facilities to and from the theater are made to constitute an element of the seating facilities of the theater. So it was a pretty clever idea, and it was officially patented in 1933. In June of that same year, Hollingshead opened his first drive-in in his hometown of Camden, New Jersey, calling it the Automobile Movie Theater. The marquee boasted the world's first sit-in-your-car, see-and-hear movies, and Hollingshead ran advertisements with the slogan, the whole family is welcome, regardless of how noisy the children are. The idea captured people's attention, and around 600 people from all over the country came on opening night, paying 25 cents per car and 25 cents a head to watch the British comedy Wives Beware, a movie in which a man, tiring of married life, fakes amnesia so he can pursue other women. Hollingshead continued to perfect the idea of the drive-in movie. After receiving complaints about the sound quality for those parked in the very back of the parking lot, Hollingshead worked with the company RCA to develop small speakers that could be mounted right on the car and receive sound input through radio signal. This significantly improved the experience. And Hollingshead started licensing the idea so that other drive-ins could open. One of those early drive-ins was E.M. Lowe's Providence Drive-In, built in 1937 on what had previously been the location of the Providence Cyclodrome, and is today either the Dollar Store or the LA Fitness on North Main Street on the Providence-Pawtucket line. This was only the eighth drive-in to open in the country, and E.M. Lowe paid a licensing fee and royalties to Hollingshead's Park It Incorporated. But here comes Rhode Island's unique role in the history of the drive-in. Lowe stopped making royalty payments in November of 1937. When Hollingshead terminated the licensing agreement, the Providence drive-in kept on operating, infringing on the patent. So Hollingshead sued Lowe and the suit dragged on, eventually making it all the way to the First Circuit Court of Appeals. But in a rather unexpected outcome, the court actually invalidated Hollingshead's original patent saying it should never have been granted in the first place because it was basically a copy of the approach used for indoor theaters 
but it used cars instead of seats. After that, E.M. Lowe's Providence Drive-In went on operating until 1977, when it closed for good, but the legacy of the court case extended beyond Rhode Island. When Hollingshead's patent was overturned in 1949, the drive-in movie theater took off. Of course, there were a number of additional factors contributing to the drive-in success, like the invention of in-car speakers, which really strengthened the concept, and then there was the baby boom following World War II, and of course, the growing American love affair with the car. But you can't deny Rhode Island's role in the explosion of drive-in theaters following the drawn-out lawsuit that overturned the patent. The 1950s were the drive-in's golden years. Celebrities like John Wayne would sometimes attend opening nights. Some locations had promotional stunts, like circus acts or bands that would play before the film. And later on, in 1974, at the premiere of Blazing Saddles at the Pickwick Drive-In in Burbank, California, everyone who arrived on horseback got in free. But beyond these stunts, a huge part of the appeal of the drive-in was that it kept the whole family entertained. And playgrounds were common, allowing kids to stay busy before and even during the movie. Some drive-ins provided diaper vending machines, free bottle warmers for baby formula, or even nurses to watch and care for little ones. But it wasn't all just about the family. Some offered other vehicle-oriented services, like windshield washing or tire changes. By 1958, the number of drive-ins peaked at 4,063 across the country. But the early 60s foreshadowed the drive-ins eventual decline. Tons of entrepreneurs had quickly entered the business, hoping to capitalize on the drive-in's skyrocketing success. But the early 60s saw a significant decline as those that were inefficient and underprepared quickly exited the business. As you would expect, TV really started to impact the drive-in around this time. Proof of TV's negative impact came in 1963 when drive-ins reported one of their biggest box office weekends, in the wake of the assassination of JFK, when people went out in droves because they couldn't watch their regular TV programs. And then the energy crisis of the 1970s brought on the drive-ins more serious decline. There were gas shortages, people started downsizing their vehicles, which made the experience at the drive-in a lot more uncomfortable, and then daylight savings really hurt the drive-in, pushing the movie start times later into the evening. And as a side note, I for some reason never considered that daylight savings was a way to conserve energy, but that's largely why it exists and why it continued to be extended. And actually, Benjamin Franklin was the first to jokingly suggest daylight savings as a way to economize candle usage. But anyway, back to the drive-in, the final death knell surprisingly came in the form of property values. The drive-ins that had previously been built far outside cities on large tracts of underdeveloped land were now really valuable as suburbs expanded and land prices increased. There was a significant incentive to sell, especially in the regions where business was seasonal. And those who kept operating were creative in their approach to increase revenue. 
A few Boston drive-ins experimented with using the lot as a commuter park-and-ride during the day to bring in extra cash, charging movie admission to those who failed to remove their cars before dusk. Many others operated flea markets on the property during daylight hours. And then there was another approach, utilized by Rhode Island's very own rustic drive-in, that helped the business survive the 70s and 80s. And it didn't have anything to do with offering other services. It all had to do with the content being shown. The truth is, the movies shown at the drive-ins were never really the most important part of the experience. Drive-ins rarely got first-run major Hollywood movies. They often got either second or third-run or B-tier movies. And there were even film companies that popped up just to supply drive-ins with low-budget films to show. But the Rustic, they showed a different kind of film entirely. The Rustic was opened in 1951 as a single-screen theater at the height of the drive-in success. And it's been in pretty much continuous operation ever since. When it first opened, it was your typical family-friendly operation. But as other drive-ins started selling out, the Rustic made another decision. It started screening only R and X-rated films. So yes, Rhode Island had a huge outdoor adult movie theater. And this wasn't a short-term solve either. The Rustic showed porn for roughly 18 years. And the demand was so steady, it operated year-round. Of course, people weren't happy about it. The town fought to close the facility, reportedly increasing the Rustic's licensing fee from $160 to $18,000 per year in 1971. When a judge blocked the increase, they compromised at a fee of $1,000. Today, the Rustic's foray into adult content is kind of like an urban legend. Many believe it's just a rumor, beginning with the business's unfortunate and vaguely penis-shaped sign. But this is a rumor that just so happens to be true. And actually, the Rustic wasn't the only drive-in to go in this direction. Drive-in operators all over the country shifted from a family-oriented strategy to either exclusively showing R and X-rated films or extending their hours to show late-night adult content. Lou Ratner, owner of two drive-ins in Akron, Ohio in the 60s and 70s, said that in the 70s, R and X-rated movies were almost all the drive-ins were showing. That must have been about 60% of the business, he estimated. And in 1976, drive-in owners in Missouri reported that pornographic movies outgrossed those rated G and PG by three or four to one. This all took place during the sexual revolution, when adult movie theaters were seeing a boom. And the Adult Film Association of America formed in, you guessed it, 1969. The 70s were called the golden age of porn, when the mainstreaming of porn reached an all-time high. Against this backdrop, drive-in theaters that were competing with TV saw porn and R-rated movies as an opportunity to stand out and to turn a profit. But by the 80s, the rise in popularity of the VCR started killing adult movie theaters out. 
The Rustic Drive-In showed adult movies until it was purchased in 1988 by Clem and Beverly Desmarais, who had actually met in 1954 at the drive-in, where they both worked as teens. She worked at concessions, and he was a parking attendant. They worked there, and they went on their first dates there, and later they got married. And Clem managed the drive-in through the years when it showed X-rated movies. Later, when the two purchased the drive-in, they decided to experiment by going back to a more family-friendly slate of films. But Clem admitted in a 1997 interview that if it hadn't worked out, he would have gone back to adult content. But the timing was right, and the Rustic, which became the Rustic Tri-View when the Desmarises added two additional screens, has shown your typical family movies ever since. And drive-ins actually saw a resurgence in the late 90s, driven by families, as baby boomers who had frequented the drive-in as kids brought their own kids back to relive the memories together. At one point, the state had 15 drive-in theaters. Today, the Rustic is the only one that's still operating. When Clem and Beverly passed away in the early 2000s, their daughter Beth took over. And in 2008, the business was sold to the Boston Culinary Group, who is currently operating it through the Your Neighborhood Theaters division of Belmont Capital. Other Rhode Island drive-ins were mostly demolished after closing to make way for strip malls and other businesses. But traces of one other, the Lonsdale Twin Drive-In in Lincoln, still exist. The defunct theater was actually turned into a nature preserve along the Blackstone River, and the nostalgic sign was recreated in memory of the iconic American pastime. Today, drive-ins are more of a niche form of entertainment. They're fun to go to now and then, but let's face it, cars just aren't as comfortable as your own couch, or the big cushy cinema chairs at many of the upgraded movie theaters. But there's something really fun about caravanning to the drive-in with friends or family and sneaking in your own food and drinks. And during the COVID pandemic, many drive-ins saw renewed interest as they provided a safe way to get out of the house and do something around other people. People flocked to drive-ins where they could stay safely within the bubble of their own car, but know that they were all in it together. Many of these people were my age, millennials, bringing their kids to the drive-in, seeing some of the same movies they saw with their parents in the 90s. So maybe this strange time will just guarantee another wave of nostalgia one day in the future, as the kids going to the drive-in right now come back with their kids one day. Thanks for listening. If you liked this episode, share it with your family and friends. Or you can leave a rating or review wherever you get your podcasts. And a big thanks to Barbara for coming on the show this week. If you have a topic you'd like to hear about, you can email me at weirdrhodeisland at gmail.com. See you next week as we dig up more stories about all things weird and wonderful in the little state of Rhode Island. Until next time.